All right, welcome to another episode of Autodesk Digital Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we have a special episode featuring Shannon Goodman, the Executive Director of the Lifecycle Building Center. And during Autodesk University, she gave a theater talk discussing the biggest strategies for reducing and reusing construction waste. I had the pleasure of sitting down with her after her theater talk to learn a little bit more about what she didn't have the chance to share during that presentation. So today's episode will start with that presentation and then follow with the interview that I had the opportunity to conduct with her live at Autodesk University. So without further ado, here's her presentation. So I want to start with a show of hands. How many of you have seen something like this before? Okay, that's actually more than I expected. <laughs> um, well, the reason I bring this up is because this is where most buildings go when we're done with them. And a lot of us don't actually get directly exposed to that outcome, right? Uh, and if you're not aware of the scale of this issue, in 2009, the EPA estimated that we were throwing away 170 million tons of building materials every year. Now that figure has jumped to 600 million tons. So in just a decade, it's more than three times what it was back then. It may be hard to imagine what 600 million tons looks like. To put this in perspective, it's enough material to fill the entire Empire State Building 2,500 times. As uh, Ron mentioned, earlier in my career, I was an architect at Perkins & Will, and this is where I worked in Atlanta, Georgia. Before Perkins & Will purchased and renovated this building, it was filled with valuable materials, and I couldn't stand the thought of putting all of that into a landfill. So I organized an effort, as he mentioned, to salvage and donate 62 tons of material to 19 organizations, and we saved them almost $400,000. But this is the thing. Seeing how much of a positive impact those materials could have in my community opened my eyes. It changed my perspective, and it changed the course of my life. I started to work with others in Atlanta who wanted to create a better way to manage these resources. In 2011, we found this beautiful warehouse, 70,000 square feet, 100-year-old, in a very underinvested part of our city, and we started a reuse organization called Lifecycle Building Center, or LBC. Over the past 11 years with LBC, I've seen how the materials that we so casually throw away can actually help make our communities more sustainable, more equitable, and more resilient. But this is only possible if we can change the label of waste that we typically apply to these materials. Today, I will be showing you three examples that show what can happen when we transform the label of waste into resources. The first example is the Candida Building for Innovative Sustainable Design at Georgia Tech, which was built by Skanska. This net positive project is the most environmentally advanced education and research building ever constructed in the southeastern U.S., and it achieved Living Building Challenge certification in 2021. The Living Building Challenge standard requires that reclaimed building materials be used, and this project uses 28 different types of salvage materials. So, for example, 
Georgia Tech looked at their own campus for opportunities. And these are stair treads for the monumental stair in the space. These were actually salvaged from one of their own buildings, Tech Tower, that was constructed in 1888. And now this history lives on in the Candida Project. They also uh, salvaged materials from their alumni house. They took off slate roofing tiles and they remade them into wall tiles for all of the restrooms. And this is one of my favorite stories from this project because it exemplifies a mantra that the team shared throughout the entire course of it. Finding solutions that can accomplish multiple goals at once. The project team came up with an idea of using reclaimed two-by-fours as the spacers for all of the nail-laminated timber decking panels at the upper floor and roof structures. For a year, Lifecycle Building Center salvaged two-by-four lumber from TV and film productions. But when Skanska could only find one subcontractor who was willing to bid out this scope, which was $1.2 million on a $25 million project, they decided to actually build the panels themselves with their own in-house team. Next, Skanska engaged with Georgia Works, which is a nonprofit in Atlanta that provides job training opportunities for men who are overcoming homelessness or prior incarceration. Six men were hired to construct the 489 panels, with one of them later hired into a full-time construction job. What I love about this story also is that this one creative design solution enabled them to meet three of the Living Building Challenge goals. Sourcing reclaimed materials locally helped lower the project's carbon impact and also helped achieve the materials goal. Exposing the natural wood structural system contributed to the beauty goal. And providing workforce training opportunities helped meet the equity goal. This creative solution also saved the project money. Skanska's cost to build these panels was 25% of that original bid. They did it for $300,000. This next example shows how reusing materials creates economic opportunities and also helps make our cities more livable and equitable. In Atlanta, our city is seeking to address inequity by building or preserving 20,000 affordable housing units by 2030. Lifecycle Building Center is supporting that goal by salvaging materials from existing homes in Atlanta and donating them to nonprofits who are building affordable housing. By reusing materials that already exist, nonprofits can significantly lower their construction costs. This is an example of one of the projects we did with a nonprofit Atlanta Land Trust, where we provided kitchen cabinets, plumbing fixtures, and doors. These are materials that would have been wasted, but instead, they are helping nonprofits like Atlanta Land Trust build more affordable units with the dollars that they have available. Now we are working to scale this up with nonprofits like Grove Park Foundation. They are seeking to construct 950 affordable units over the next several years. In order to support Grove Park, we are identifying sources to provide much larger volumes of reclaimed materials. And Georgia's film industry is once again proving to be a key partner. 
one of the state's largest film studios, has invited us to reclaim materials from their TV and film productions to be reused in affordable housing projects. But this is only possible if we can change that label of waste and start seeing these materials as resources instead of trash that we need to just get rid of. The last example I want to share with you today talks about conditions that are really challenging in a lot of our cities. A lot of dilapidated homes like this exist, and often we have found that seniors are stuck living in substandard conditions because their income is so limited. In Atlanta, we have a lot of nonprofits who are working to help improve living conditions for these senior residents. This is Charles Jackson. He is a retired Army veteran and senior homeowner that lives near LBC. When we first met Charles in 2020, he was going through a really tough time. He wanted to bring his mother back home to live with him after several years, but their home was in such poor condition that that was not possible. There was no kitchen in their home. So Lifecycle Building Center partnered with another nonprofit, Rebuilding Together Atlanta, to help give Charles the kitchen he needed. We provided kitchen cabinet sets, uh, kitchen sink, appliances, all the tile for the floors, the counters, and the walls. And we brought in one of our partners, DPR Construction, to install all of the materials. Charles was overjoyed because we were able to put this kitchen in in time for him to bring his mother back home to celebrate Christmas with him that year. Our challenge now is to scale all of this up. And we can do this together by changing the label of waste into resources. One step that you can do is you can find reuse organizations near you. In the US, we have the Habitat for Humanity Restore Network with over a thousand locations. And you can also connect with members of Build Reuse, which is a national nonprofit that helps communities turn construction and demolition waste into local resources. If you're involved in demolition projects, you can require that a reuse assessment be performed, and you can set minimum thresholds for the amount of material that needs to be salvaged. You can also look for opportunities to reuse materials or even entire buildings in your design projects. Even better, you can design buildings to be disassembled later so their components can be more easily reused. If you do not have a reuse organization near you, you could consider starting one of your own. Lifecycle Building Center is partnering with Build Reuse now to create a Reuse for Communities toolkit to help make that process much easier. I want to close with a vision for the future. This is the online store for Pittsburgh's Reuse Center, Construction Junction. They are one of many organizations that are working to build a future where all usable materials can be cataloged and harvested from buildings before they are demolished. It's a future where existing buildings become the palette from which we can select materials to reuse. It's a future where we can actually trace the history and follow where materials came from and follow them into their next life. 
It's a future with a skilled workforce capable of capturing all of these valuable resources where they can gain a living wage career while also helping communities access these materials at an affordable cost. I invite you to join us in building this future where we value our material resources and we recognize their ability to help sustain our communities and our planet. Thank you. We are live from Autodesk University in the Expo Hall. I have the pleasure of sitting here with Shannon Goodman, the Executive Director of the Lifecycle Building Center. How are you doing today, Shannon? Eric, I am doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. I like that vibe. And I think the energy has just been it's contagious so far. Everybody's so happy to be in person. We're all talking about nerdy construction technology <laughs> and a bunch of interesting stuff. And now I have the pleasure of having a conversation with you to kind of follow on your theater talk. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. So let's let's look backwards a little bit. When you first stepped into the LBC warehouse when it started in 2011, did you think you were going to be where you're at today? I did not. <laughs> my prior career was in architecture, and I found my way into Lifecycle Building Center through my role at Perkins & Will, okay. salvaging a bunch of building materials and finding new homes for them. And I never sought out to be a, an executive director of a nonprofit organization, but candidly, the need was there, and it was a calling that I could not ignore. And it's your organization does so much cool stuff, but let's let's take a look at the industry for a second. So sustainable construction is often seen as challenging and sometimes a bit of a pipe dream for the pipe dream for the industry and something that's really hard to tackle. Do you have any actionable steps that you advise organizations to take to to really make a meaningful shot at sustainability and not just you know okay yeah we're a sustainable building and you know moving on. Absolutely. I think as is shown in many examples here, collaboration is key. So you have to have cross-sector you know, collaboration together across teams. Uh, you also have to have a mind shift. And I've heard a lot of speakers so far talk about the power of storytelling. That's something that I spoke about in my talk as well. I have found that that's one of the most important ways to change behaviors. And so much of what we're all talking about with sustainability is getting out of our habits and changing our behaviors. And quite frankly, inspiring others that may be you know, a little resistant for one reason or another uh, to do things differently than they've always done them. When you give people that snapshot where they get to step back and look and go, okay, like somebody else is doing this and they're graciously showing me how, the barrier to doing it starts to kind of get knocked away and people start having more honest conversations about like, we can build sustainability and this is why. And if I put my GC hat back on for a minute, because I, I worked for a couple general contractors in past lives, like whenever I heard things like adaptive reuse come up, there was mixed perspectives on if that was actually a real viable thing. In you know six seven eight years ago, more often than not, not a particularly positive one, which which was unfortunate because when you're working on historic buildings and you're doing renovation, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do with the materials that are already existing to bring into that new facade. And I'm sure your organization knows far more about that than I would ever be able to opine about. And you talked a bit about the economic and the social impacts in bringing reusable materials into these projects. Why is it such an important part, but often neglected within the building, uh, building ecosystem? 
Well, I think it goes back to something you said a moment ago. There's a lot of talk about the how, you know, how to make processes more sustainable in design and construction. But I think it's actually equally important to talk about the why. And I think it's also powerful when you can see something like reuse that actually can connect pretty much with anyone because it's such a basic principle that, you know, wasting valuable resources really doesn't make sense. Anybody can connect with that. Um, We have found through Lifecycle Building Center that sometimes the way to really open people's eyes, uh, change their minds and change their behaviors, is to see the potential economic impact that material reuse can have. Uh, And then I also see a lot that the social impact, the human impact, the way that these materials, if you can shift that idea of all of this material as waste, labeling it as waste, and start recognizing that it can be a resource. And I think, again, more and more focus on the how is critical uh, to achieving that because people need to know that it's actually possible and they need to understand why. Why should they take the time and put in the effort and feel like they're part of a movement? I think that's part of what you see happening you know, all over the place here. I think it's a, a community conversation at that point. It's like, how do we build up this enthusiasm for making sure that we're reducing the amount of waste that comes from construction or renovation and it's a scary number when you when you step back and I, I don't have them in the back of my head right now but every time you get into the data and you see how wasteful construction ends up being whether it's because of processes that are broken or misunderstandings or change conditions anything we can do to reduce that has a tremendous impact and so all the work that your organization is doing I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, that you're out here kind of spreading the message and appreciative you've joined me today. Well, something that you just said made me realize that education is super important, and I don't think that there's enough understanding and transparency around the scale of the problem. Uh, so you talked about, you know, how much waste, 600 million tons every year of construction and demolition waste just in the United States. And, and that's a scary metric. And we, we just, we need to be better. I mean, you can look at the, the state of the world right now, and I'm not going to go too deep into that <laughs> rabbit hole because it's, it's full of uh, traps that, that we don't have time for today. But you, if we just take an honest assessment of, of the state of, you know, just the United States, that's a scary number. And anything that we can do to, to bring that waste down and be more intentional, whether it's reusing materials or fixing process to the fact that we're not wasting things as much as we might have in the past, it's a huge win for the organization. I think it's also important to shift the conversation from the the scariness to seeing how much opportunity is in those numbers. And that's what my talk was about. Can you share a little bit more about that right now? I just, I love to kind of reset that, that baseline. Like where, where are some of those bigger opportunities? Absolutely. So we have worked with hundreds of nonprofit organizations donating materials to them over the 11 years that we've been in operation. And we've been able to save by distributing discounted materials and donating free materials almost $5 million. And that's just one fairly small reuse organization. So one of the things that we're working on, there's a national organization called Build Reuse for the the reuse industry. And that nonprofit is working on a national study to be able to show the collective impact in terms of the economic impact, as well as the social impact and the environmental impact. 
So that triple bottom line that we all talk about, that's what this has to be able to demonstrate. And again, our job is to show, well, what is the impact collectively that all of these reuse organizations like LBC are already having? There is not an understanding of that to begin with, right? And then start looking at, well, if we are making some strategic investments and again, bringing others into the fold and demonstrating what's possible, then let's look at what the potential impact economically, socially, and environmentally we could be having. So those are the conversations that we want to be having more of, but we have to work cross-sector in order to make that possible. It makes sense, and, and you're, you're, you're having those discussions now, and I'm thankful that you're here to, to give you an additional platform to share some of that importance because it's likely, as you're alluding to, not something that's you know comes to mind first for people when they're building a new building or renovating something or how much waste they go. They're very focused on their part of the construction, whether it's a big project or a small one. All the other stuff might not really come across their minds. So, Well, and, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we get asked a lot is, you know, what are some of the barriers, right? Uh, or misperceptions, right? Misunderstandings. And one of them is that it has to cost more, right? Uh, what we have shown over the 10 years that we've been around is that that's actually not true. Uh, there's a lot of creative ways to use workforce development programs, and these become a win-win. Again, it's, it's the why. You have to show that all of these resources, they can also have a human impact by creating job opportunities that didn't exist before. So we can solve multiple problems through one solution. It, it all really does come together, and you mentioned a decade, so I, I'd like to flip it the other direction now. Let's look look to the future. Where would you aspire or hope to see the state of your organization in the conversation tied to being a bit more mindful about reuse and everything along those lines in 10 years from today? I think the number one thing our industry has to be able to do, and I think Autodesk is a perfect partner for this, is to increase the transparency of information about materials that can be reused. There are a lot of folks working on this now. Uh, one of them is Reapley out of Chicago, and they're working with some municipalities to, to demonstrate what's possible. Uh, being able to come into a reuse operation or browse information online and get immediate access to materials that are available today. But then there's also technology. You can laser scan buildings, interior spaces. When we can get to a point where we can not only just quantify reusable materials, but understand their embodied carbon impact, assign a value to that, make that transparent across the entire project team, engage building owners in understanding and assigning value to that, that it actually matters. I heard a speaker today actually talk about making design decisions with that information at your disposal and actually understanding, okay, we have a multitude of choices and we can take these paths, but we're actually looking at what the carbon impact of those different choices are. And I, I love your point when you're talking about owners for a moment. Obviously, mm -hmm. this is all a very owner-focused owner conversation. 
I've seen kind of a change in the last few years as far as how much information owners have, their focus in how those choices are impacting, how they engage the contractors. And I think it's an exciting moment right now because the owners are feeling more empowered. There's more technology that gives them visibility into the construction process. And when they start seeing that and the potential, especially the really progressive ones, when the RFPs come out, all those things are in the RFP. So if we can influence those owners in a way where they go, all right, like, I want these things and it's in the contract now, it's a win-win because now, now you got to do it if you want to bid on the job. You know, it's, You're it's a change perspective. Right. That is where change is going to happen, owner education. And I think Autodesk has a very important role to play in that because there are so many technologies that are getting better and better at being able to demonstrate, you know, clearly what the value impact is of these choices. And I, the, I was nodding my head furiously a minute ago because the, the data part, like I'm a big data nerd. When the data conversation comes up, I'm like, all right, like let's talk now. And owners previously, you know, project could get finished and they go, here's your stack of binders and CDs and all of your, you know, handover documentation. And they kind of go, okay, here we are. And those ones that are, are getting into the state that we were talking about a minute ago now they're thinking digital twins now they have access to the information now they're bringing people on staff that really understand the technology it can help inform those choices and then you get a seat at the table and hopefully you get to influence even more as far as the uh, the changes that come to the uh, the industry but i want to ask a little bit about what you're excited about right now so what are the big trends that you're seeing in the market or in the industry across the board that you're just really interested and excited about well, I would say, you know, this um, study that we talked about in terms of being able to show the industry's collective impact is super, super important. I can't overstate that. Um, when we look at what's happening in Europe in our industry, it's light years ahead of where we are <laughs> in America, unfortunately. I think that that's going to start to change when we can shed more light um, on the actual carbon impact of these decisions um, and learn from our peers in Europe. Uh, one of the things that I've been seeing a lot about is this idea of material passports um, and again, integrating technology so that you can actually trace where materials are flowing from one building to the next. Um, and this all, I will say, you know, talking about storytelling again, that is powerful because, again, that's a way to engage people in this process in a very different way. And we find that our ability to show and tell stories and connect people to the places that those materials have existed, maybe other human stories that have been tied to those materials, those are really important building blocks to get people to rethink, stop, and consider making different decisions. Um, and see different possibilities. And it, it really is an interesting way to think about it too, because you're when you look at an industry number and you go, it's you know one trillion dollars or something. It's really easy to look at that and go, okay, like what is what is my impact on that? And in the scope of a trillion, obviously, you might feel that it's not significant, but I always love when we see data that is broken down into either segments of the industry all the way down to what an average general contractor might do. Because when you get to stand and look at that number now and you go, this is what I'm doing, this is, this is the impact that I have, I think that that really does start to change that conversation. And the storytelling that you're talking to, I think that's a huge aspect of it because it just really kind of goes full circle and connects the dots for everybody. So it's, it's a huge win there, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we do this right, we're also going to prove that this can be an economic boost and save a lot of money for a lot of people. 
And unfortunately, some people focus directly on that part of the conversation and not the bigger scope of one. But if we can qualify it, I think it's good too. It will always be relevant for sure. So I've got one final question for you. Was there anything when you were giving your talk that you wanted to talk about but weren't able to actually bring into the, the pitch with the constraints and timing or everything? Yeah. Like, was there something, <laughs> I want to talk about this, but I just can't today? Yeah. Um, so I wasn't able to get into as much detail about some of the possibilities for the future. Um, again, in Europe, there is a movement, um, for example, buildings as material banks. It's this whole other concept of conceiving of existing structures. I mean, imagine if you had the capability to access information about existing buildings in your community and to learn about demolition opportunities that are coming up. And this becomes the palette from which you can actually cull and select materials as resources to use as a designer. This is what's happening now, and it can be part of our future here in the U.S. as well. Um, but we're going to have to have an open mind and engage in those conversations and be willing to try some new things. It's cool, though. It sounds like it's an easier avenue to, to tap into those resources, and you're, you're empowering those designers in a way that they're not probably familiar with or potentially not very comfortable with right now. But I think the cool thing is, if we look to our friends in Europe, the construction industry is definitely one that is open to sharing. I mean, we're here right now and hearing from all these different organizations who are happy to help improve the industry at large. And even if we just break it down into material shortages and supply chain issues and labor and everything else, when you start adding this into the conversation, it's a really cool opportunity to say, this has value and let's figure out a way to take a better advantage of it. So I appreciate you sharing all this information. I'm so glad you were able to give your talk and uh, just thank you for joining me today. It's been a ton of fun learning a bit more from you and a little bit about you. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. And everybody out there listening, of course, we are live at Autodesk University right now. We're doing another session tomorrow from 10 to 11 right here at the Expo Hall. So please make sure you tune in. And otherwise, uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you.